to a new episode of the Shaken and Stirred show. You might hear the excitement in my voice. And that's because we've got someone who I've been really waiting to interview. You might know him if you're following us on Instagram already at the Shaken and Stirred show. You would have seen him. Um, we did a little clip. He sort of led us into his world, his tequila infused world about six, seven months ago. And ever since then, he's been on my radar. Now, you know, I don't interview a lot of bartenders, mixologists, or experts in alcohol. I don't. It's, I do a lot of celebrity interviews, and that's what we do. But this is the Shaken and Stirred show. We love to talk about alcohol and booze. And that, one of the reasons why I don't often interview um, people who are sort of experts in spirits is because it can get too boring and technical. And there is something about our guest today who, who's piqued my attention. I check out all his TikToks. And by the way, he's a star over there. On Instagram, he has a sense of humor. He has a personality. But more than anything, he's got a real opinion and he's not afraid to share it. And I want to dish. I want to talk. I want to get into it. That's what we're going to do, people. If you're into tequila, this week's podcast is for you. Our guest today has more than a decade in LA bartending and has an extensive experience in agave spirits. He's built a reputation as an advocate of traditional and sustainable agave spirit production and is among the most influential voices in favor of sustainable craft spirits. Please welcome Lucas Assis. Lucas, how are you, mate? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that introduction. Ah, what, what a pleasure. So good to have you. You know, I always ask my guests straight away, what are you drinking? In, in your case, I kind of know what it is. I'm imagining it's tequila, but what do you got? <laughs> yes, it is. And it's a special one that I'm drinking today. I'm drinking a Cascanes Hoven. Uh, if you can see it right there. And it also has the little additive free uh, sticker on the bottle. Uh, this is a special tequila because it's different. You know, I say that a lot of tequilas, like, of course, I love tequilas. Uh, but it's kind of hard to get really surprised with tequilas because you kind of know what they're going to taste like. You kind of, you're waiting for that, you know, either it's going to be from the highlands or if it's going to be from the valley, but this one just blew me away. Uh, and they make it in a really interesting way. This is actually owned by a winemaker. Uh, so he used a fermentation process that's actually used a lot in wine and it's the melolactic fermentation, meaning that it pretty much lets the fermentation go twice as long as usual and it gets this like lactic notes to it. Uh, and they uh, distilled that, they aged it for six months in American oak, then they blended that with 60% of their regular Blanco tequila, 33% of that melolactic reposado, and then 7% of a single barrel extra nail. And it's unlike any tequila I've had, it's incredible stuff. We, I know what, I want to get into all these descriptions because I think, you know, when people hear what you just described, first of all, they're going, wait a second, it's got a Blanco, it's got Reposado, right. and it's got an Ajo in there. What's that? Guys, right. that is what the Hoven is, right? That is what the exactly. mixer is, right? And that's sometimes called a gold. We, there's all mm -hmm. kinds of names, but I want you to give us the breakdown because I sort of, I'm a, a novice when it comes to tequila, mm -hmm. but I, I love my tequila. I'm joining you with... I don't know whether you like this or not, but I've been, these guys were on my podcast the other day. We had a whole bunch of them, all the guys who started this Sincoro tequila. I okay. want to get your opinion on it too. This is a giant, probably $500 bottle of <laughs> tequila. Um, whether it's worth $500, you're going to have to tell me. I think it's very delicious, but I, I, I want to talk about celebrity tequilas. I want to talk about different types of tequilas. I want to get into the business of tequila. And let's start with, because you brought it up, 
Um, mm -hmm. You're drinking a Hoven. Uh, talk to us about how many types of tequila there are out there. What are the styles? Got it. Uh, there's different styles. So I'd say that there's around six different styles. But what you're looking for, really, that's going to be more available to get is the Blanco, which is the unaged tequila. Uh, it can be rested uh, up to 60 days on a barrel. So it can still be kind of like rested. Uh, a lot of Blanco tequila spend six months in stainless steel. So it's not like it's just straight from the still. A lot of brands are, but some of them, the master distiller believes that it needs to round up a little bit more and rest in stainless steel. So that's the Blanco. The Reposado are tequilas that are aged between two months and 11 months. Uh, and those are tequilas, again, that are rested. Most tequilas today are aged in American oak, ex-bourbon barrels. Uh, so the bourbon industry, have they have a really good partnership with the tequila industry as well because they need to send the, the bourbon barrels that in bourbon you can only use once, right? But there's no guidelines on what barrels they need to be aged in. Uh, it just happens that most of them in our American oak. Is, re is rested and aged the same thing? So then you get the añejos and those are more the aged ones. Uh, so the añejos are tequilas that are aged between one year and three years. Uh, and then the extra nejos are tequilas that are aged from three years on. Uh, so there's tequilas that are being aged for 16 years, 12 years, uh, but usually the sweet spot for an extra nejo is around six years. Uh, and then we have the, the joven, which we just talked about. And those are a mixtures of those different expressions. And you have the joven. Uh, and then, you know, you have the other ones like the mixto. The mixto is something that's not 100% blue agave. Um, you know, uh, for me, there's only one mixto that I drink, and it's the brand called El Tequileño. It's additive free. They use uh, sugarcane, uh, uh, like piloncillo, so it's like a sugarcane syrup to to get, bring that sweetness of their tequila. But it's 100% additive free, complete transparency, which is what I also, you know, advocate for. Uh, and then you have the golds and the other ones, and those are more the cristalinos and to be honest, in my view, those are a little bit more of gimmicks, shortcuts to make tequila go further and big brands to sell at a higher price, you know? Really? So a Cristalino, you, you feel is a gimmicky kind of tequila? I do. If I have to say, yeah, it, it is because, you know, I always say this, a Cristalino usually is an Añejo tequila. So tequila that's aged between one to three years. Uh, and, you know, think about the art that goes in the, the process that goes into aging a tequila and getting those beautiful notes from the barrel. And then... After that, you just put it through a charcoal filter and take away all the color and all the taste, you know? And a lot of Cristalinos would then add even more additives after the process. So there's brands that you will literally have to tell you in the bar on the bottle saying made with agave syrup, you know, because they add that after the distillation. So it is, unfortunately, uh, the, the clear aged tequilas are, are a gimmick at this point. Wow, there you go. You heard it right there, people. <laughs> and by the way, you know, I've seen that and, and tried and, and enjoyed that tequila mm -hmm. called key. Uh, okay. Q-U-I. And I think it comes from, that's a key from the tequila word, right? And that's a Cristalino, right? So, right. Um, but that, 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 and you're telling me that that has been passed through charcoal to remove the color, right? That's exactly. how it gets. And, and then, but that also tends to remove the flavor, you're saying as well. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. It does rem remove the flavors as well. Wow. But it creates a very smooth tequila, which is what a lot of people are looking for. And I get that, you know, um, but I always say too that tequila is not really supposed to be smooth. Tequila is supposed to be bold and complex. And the alcohol taste is a huge part of mezcal or tequila or agave spirits in general, you know, and the Cristalinos, I think, remove that. 
let's let's do a cheers to that right now because I've got this anejo that I just poured myself from Sincora, and you've got your hoven. Cheers, my friend. Mm. Now I'm looking at the glass you're using. The glass mm -hmm. you're using looks like a whiskey glass. It, yeah. it, it looks like a glass that you would drink whiskey. So guys, it's like almost like a a tulip shaped head. Um, so it has a wide base bottom and it's going up to a sort of a, a sort of tall, long, thin neck. So if you're not watching this, which, by the way, you can watch it um, on YouTube, you watch Shaking the Stirred Show. But if you're listening to us, I'm describing, imagine a tulip head. Now, why that glass? Why? Because look at the glass I'm using. Nothing like that. Right. I'm using a tumbler. So I'm using the wrong glass. <laughs> but you have a rock in there, so that's fine, because it's hard to put a rock on this one, you know? So this is a whiskey glass, actually. This is a double uh, Glencore which is the most used uh, glass for whiskey, right? But for tequila, you do want to have kind of like a tulip uh, shape to it. Uh, a lot of people use flutes. There's like a, a tequila flute that looks a lot like a champagne flute. Um, but you do want something that you can put your nose because the smell is such an important part. And I just love this glass. Um, I love the base. I can still hold it from over here uh, without touching the spirit so much. Uh, but you know, it's really up to you. I'm not one of those guys that you're like, you're supposed to drink tequila only on flutes or only on this. It really is what works for you, you know? And I feel like this one really works for me. Uh, I can put my nose in. It's a great nosing whiskey, uh, and it's a great sipping, uh, not a whiskey, sorry, a great nosing glass and a really good sipping glass too. You, for example, I put ice in mine. Now, do you not go for ice? Do you sometimes put ice? Is, why are you not using ice now? Especially as it, it, it's quite a light looking tequila, your home, and it's right. sort of, it's like, it almost looks like it could be a Blanco with a little bit of color in it. Right, exactly. Um, it's a personal preference. I, I like without ice, I'm more of a neat person, uh, you know, and that's just, a lot of people in the industry have these like notions that no, you're supposed to drink it just this way. And I'm a big believer that you should drink what you like, you know? So if you like it with a big rock, go ahead and put it in a big rock, you know? Uh, if you like it sipping neat, sip neat. Just don't shoot a really quality tequila, you know what I mean? Uh, but personally, my personal preference is sipping agave spirits neat at room temperature. I mean, let's face it, it's hard to afford to, to just shoot a really expensive tequila, you know, Very so true. these days anyway. I mean, you know, but it's funny because there is a lot to be said about, I think, the glass, the ice, the shape of the ice, the size of the ice. You know, and all of these different things. I'm very sort of specific. And although this is not a glass like yours, this is a glass that I've had um, probably for 30 years. And wow. it was about 20 years older than that when I got it. And it's actually from my wife's um, father's boat. And it has her name. And it's just the, one of the, one of my, for some reason about the type of the glass, when it touches my lip, the, the way it's smooth, and then it, it can hold a really large ice cube, which I love because it doesn't get diluted too easily. But everyone has their thing, right? And, and I, I do feel that there is an importance to the glass. So you're telling me that when you go to Mexico, what are the Mexicans drinking their tequila in? Um, a lot of them are in little, uh, if you're drinking tequila, it will be in little glasses like these. Uh, I can show you. So little shot glasses, you know, um, that that's the most of people are drinking tequila like that in Mexico. If you're talking about mezcal, then it's going to be more in those veladoras. And they're like candles, basically. They're little cups that uh, are used for candles. And the there's a cross at the bottom of the glass. And the tradition is like that you drink it until you see the cross. So you burn the candle until you see a cross. And that can be at a funeral at a church for a saint or whatever the case may be. 
And once the, the and it looks like this, uh, if anybody's watching, uh, these kinds of cups right here. So really uh, and, like a little candle, what those yeah. tiny little, um, what do they call them? Uh, cup, cupcake candles or something? What do they call them? Those tiny Pretty little much. Things. Yeah, if you're going to go to Catholic church, especially in Mexico, you're going to see all, you know, like all of these uh, candles sitting there. So you burn the candle until you see the cross, you remove the wax, and then you drink the mezcal until you see the cross as well. Wow. That is, that's such an interesting story. I never even thought about that. But is, is this where the, the, the idea of the shot comes from? Because obviously when people think of tequila, shot is the first thing that comes to right. most people who are uneducated in tequila necessarily. It's the first thing because, you know, when I grew up as a kid, it was tequila shots. And it was, right. you, know, you go to a bar and you'll people, ah, is everyone screaming and they light them up and it's like, do a shot. And it's almost like, you know, gun to your head type of scenario, and you do the shot, and it's gonna, you know, what's gonna happen, kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> but if that's how they're drinking in Mexico, is that where it originally you think came from? Then uh, it might be, but in Mexico they really sip it. You know, it's still a thing that, especially quality stuff, you really you sip it. They say that in, in Spanish that the mezcal no se toma, se besa. That the mezcal you don't drink it, you kiss it. You know, and tequila is just that. It's just the world's most famous mezcal. You know, and uh, so I say that tequila has two booms. The first boom of tequila was that exactly. It was just about shots and party. And it was the spirit that was going to come in and ruin the party for you or you used to have the worst hangovers. So it was like the Cuervo Gold era, you know, and that's really what was the big boom of tequila. And then this time around, that's the second boom of tequila, is the quality stuff that you're supposed to be sipping or kissing and really enjoying those notes. And it's really getting like, you know, the respect it deserves as one of the most complex spirits ever made. And I think the shot is still the remnants coming from that party scene of what tequila, people thought tequila is. And we're starting to change that, that it's something that you're supposed to be sipping. So even when you're drinking a mezcal in La Veladora or if you're drinking the tequila in a little shot glass in Mexico, most of the time they're going to be sipping it and not shooting it. Sipping or kissing, as you like just or said, which I, I love. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, look, obviously, we, we've got all these different types of tequila, and, and you mentioned mezcal. Now, mezcal is to a lot of people another beast, but right. it's really tequila, right? So that's what tequila is a mezcal. It's not what is to so talk to us. I mean, I, I sort of know a little bit about it, but for everyone out there, describe the difference between the two. Yeah, so uh, basically tequila, before it was known as tequila, it was called vino de mezcal, you know, it was called uh, tequila, uh, yeah, it was, it was, there's two theories of how distillation happened in Mexico, we can go a little bit into the history. So one theory is that there are distilling spirits in Mexico three, 2000 years ago, you know, uh, so something that was already happening. And the other theory is that with the Spaniards, they brought Filipino natives as well uh, to a Southern Jalisco in the state of Colima in Mexico. And they taught the natives in Mexico how to distill. And till today, the Filipino distillation, which is a very rustic and it's a beautiful kind of distillation. It's essentially a hollowed out tree trunk with a copper plate on the bottom and on the top where you cook the agave juices on the bottom. It condenses with the copper on the top, falls back down to a wooden spoon and comes out as at that time was mezcal, right? It was uh, it was an agave spirit. It used to be coconut. The Spaniards didn't like the coconut. They took away all the coconut trees from Mexico because they wanted to sell their brandy. And then the natives are like, well, we've been you know fermenting agave for 3000 years. We're just gonna distill a version of that. And that's how we got mezcal. 
So it, the birthplace of mezcal was around that Southern Jalisco Colima area. I believe those two theories I talked about is a mixture of both. I think there was some kind of distillation going on in Mexico already. It went with the Filipino population coming in and teaching everybody else how to distill. It became more of a popular thing. And in Jalisco is where you make tequila, right? So the Spaniards saw that they weren't going to make the, the natives in Mexico not distill the agave. So they brought their distillation techniques that was already being used for brandy from the Middle East. So if you see the distillation types are very different from mezcal with the Filipino, with the wooden uh, stills and the uh, clay stills as well. And then you see the tequila being made where it's going to be copper uh, alambiques, which are going to be like, you know, very, uh, a lot of influence from the Middle East where the Spanish was already distilling. Uh, so that's what tequila was. It was just a kind of mezcal that the Spaniards started making. If you look at the lineage of tequila families, like the Cuervo family, which is still today owned by the same family, um, you know, they, they were Spaniard lineages. Like they talk about how their first distillery in the first lands that they got to cultivate agave was given to them by the, Span the king of Spain. Uh, the other family, the Salsa family, is also a very, uh, you know, their lineage is Spaniards. And they're the ones that really said, hey, we should only use blue agave for tequila. And then that's how the domination of origin was kind of born. And then that's how we differentiate now tequila and mezcal. So with tequila, based this, one of the Salda uh, families went to Japan around this in the seven, in the 1970s. He saw that they were serving a, a Japanese tequila in, in Japan and he did not like that. He's like, no, tequila is a Mexican product. They can't be calling it tequila in Japan. Oh. Went back got together with the families that kind of really were in charge of tequila and said, hey, we need to make sure that tequila can only be made in Mexico. So they were seeing you know, where tequila was made and what states they needed to, to grow the agave. So they included five different states in the domination of origin. And it wasn't until 1993 that tequila actually had its own domination of origin, kind of like champagne can only be made in the Champagne region of France. Tequila has a very small domination of origin as well, where you know only the states of Jalisco, which the vast majority of tequila is coming from, but also the states of Michoacán, Tamaulipas, Nayarit, and Guanajuato are the five states that can make tequila today. Um, so that's the biggest difference. It's that those five states are making a mezcal in the way that is made in only those five states, and only those five states can make tequila. And then mezcal now has its own domination of origin where 10 states can register as mezcal, you know, and not to go too technical and too deep in it. And for me, I believe personally that if it comes from agave and it comes from Mexico, it's a mezcal. It doesn't matter where it comes from. You know, the domination of origin was really there to protect the spirit, which I really think it has. Uh, but it also has put a lot of people who have been making these agave spirits for generations in a point that they can't register and sell it because they're not part of those states that were chosen. So there's yeah. a little problem in both sides, you know? So what's happening there then? If they're, they're, are they no longer allowed to make it or are they just no longer allowed to call it tequila or mezcal once they've made it? Exactly, they can't call it tequila or mezcal if it doesn't fall into those domination of origins. Uh, so it's hard for them to register and sell it to the US where the big, the big market is, right? Uh, but thankfully we are seeing this new trend of agave spirits, so it's something that it's not called mezcal, it's not called tequila in the bottle, but it come, it's a beautiful spirit that's been made for generations, but it would say agave spirits in the bottle, which would be an amazing product as well.
Wow, that, I know you just said that. I was me, me, immediately my mind was going over and over, thinking, "Huh, now there's something I want to make or buy right now." Is try some agave spirits. That might be the next big thing to break. How interesting. Do you yeah. think the tequila market is already flooded? Um, that's a great question. I think we're getting to a point that yes, uh, it's it's getting a little bit hard. And you know, if you go down into the the sales of alcohol worldwide. Tequila, yes, is having its moment. It's a great time to have a tequila brand. But when you talk about numbers of bottles sold compared to scotch whiskey and tequila, tequila is not getting close to that, right? Uh, so in one point, you're like, wait, but why then is it flooded? But I think when you have a finite amount of a product that is needed to make this spirit, the blue agave, that's when you see that it, you know, it's so easy to flood the market and to put so much pressure uh, into this industry and the fact that agaves aren't being, you know, they're not being matured anymore. Uh, a lot of these brands are harvesting agave at three to four years old when it's not a product that should be using to make great tequila. And that's when the additives come in because they have to take some shortcuts. And very few brands now are being able to wait seven, eight, sometimes nine years for the fully, for the agave to fully mature and then for us to have a beautiful spirit. And I think that's the differences in the markets now. The tequila, you know, and that's what it happens when the market is being flooded. Okay, so that's you just brought up a really interesting point. I don't think most people understand that you have to wait for the agave to get to sort of eight to twelve years, maybe, to, to, before you actually harvest it. I mean, is is that what is the big flavor difference? What are we looking at here when if you if you're if you I guess harvesting a immature agave? Um, so basically, when you're harvesting an immature agave, you're not going to get the sugars or the bricks that you're going to need to make a spirit. And it doesn't matter how you cook it. If you're going to cook it in a like the traditional steam brick ovens, or if you're going to cook it in autoclaves that can make great tequilas as well, you're not going to get those sugars. So what they rely on is th this machine called a diffuser. And just picture a giant machine that will pretty much like power wash the agave and then use acids to break down some of the sugars on these agaves, you know? These agaves, when they're mature, they're huge. These brands that are doing this method, the agaves are the size of like basketballs. They're super small. And with those acids and all those things that they're making, they're essentially making an agave vodka. They're really only using the blue agave so they can call it a tequila, right? Uh, so there's no notes, like when it comes off the still, there's no notes of tequila. It's just a almost a neutral grain spirit at that point. Wow. So what they rely on is the additives that they can use to make it resemble a tequila. So when you're drinking tequilas in one, it gives you a bad hangover. That's usually the syrups that are being used. You know, if a tequila always looks the same. So every time you're gonna buy that tequila, that it's an aged expression and it's always the same color, that's a sign that some additives are being used because tequila is very much like wine. There's never gonna be a same batch, you know? So there's going to be differences. And I think that's the beauty of tequila as well. Uh, so the, the uh, consistency is not a great sign for tequila. And so those are the things, that's the big differences. And like that cotton candy, those artificial sugars, those kinds of tastes that you're getting on tequila, those are the additives. When you go into a tequila that's waiting for a fully mature agave to, to, to grow, and then it's cooked in steam brick ovens, you know, it's a process that would take about eight days from harvesting to distilling. Um, that's when you're gonna get those like vegetal notes. That's when you're gonna get those like sweet cooked agaves and cucumber and basil 
uh, some minerality, depending on where the agave comes from, you're gonna get like green apples, lemon, grapefruit, all those complexities of a great tequila gets lost when you use a, a, a very young agave. So, I mean, it, it leads us to the obvious question, which is, which tequilas <laughs> should we be drinking, quite frankly? Right. Um, I mean, obviously that's a very big question because there's hundreds of tequilas, but what are, are there some out there that are just literally, you're able to get easily that are, that are, that are at that level, have, are using the aged um, agave? Mm -hmm. You know, the good thing is that, yes, there is more and more in the market. We're seeing brands that are really caring about this too. So it's, you know, in some brands that are new, like the one I'm drinking today, it's a newish brand. And some brands that have, you know, hundreds of years of tradition in tequila as well. Um, and, you know, like you, I get the question all the time. It's like, okay, then what do I buy when I go to the store? What's readily available? What can I see in the bottle that will let me know that this is a good tequila? And that's exactly my problem, that there isn't anything. So it's really hard for me to tell you what tequilas to buy or what you're looking for in a bottle because there's loopholes and there is no transparency in this industry. So if a tequila says 100% agave on the bottle, that doesn't mean anything. It can be, it means that there's no other syrups, there's no other um, things that were used in the distilling process, but they still can mean that all the additives are used. They don't have to disclose that if they use, if they use four, less than 4% in the, in the total volume of the batch, they don't have to disclose anything about additives, you know? Um, and so those are the things that's hard because like there isn't, isn't like in whiskey where you have a bottled and bond, right, for bourbon. And if you see bottled and bond, you know that there's like guidelines that they have to follow, that these are gonna be a pretty good whiskey. There isn't the same thing for tequila and I think that's what we need, you know? But that being said, there is brands like Fortaleza, which, you know, I know can be hard to find in some states, but it's an incredible tequila. I talk about it all the time. Uh, Casca Wing is another tequila that has, you know, three generations uh, of tradition in this tequila, and it's incredible. G4 is another amazing tequila as well. That one comes from the highlands of, uh, of Jalisco, and it's a very, like, mineral and, uh, like, fruity tequila, very floral. Uh, you know, there's Pasote, there's Tapatillo, there's El Tesoro. Uh, there are great tequilas out there. The reality is because of the celebrity tequila boom and all these big brands, you know, the small brands kind of get overshadowed and it's people just don't know about them because they don't have the marketing budget or whatever the case may be with the other big brands. What is it about Fortaleza that you like so much? Because you do talk about it a lot. I know you like it. I actually have been buying bottles of it because of you. So <laughs> I can tell you, you're making a difference to people. I buy it and I buy it and people are like, oh, that's a great tequila. And they, they say they, 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 it's a kind of a known thing. I mean, before right. I bought Fortaleza, and I want to hear your answer, but before I bought Fortaleza, I used to, you know, buy things like Herajura, which was one of my kind of go-tos. Um, I would buy uh, Casamigos more recently, but I, you know, but I've had my issue with that a little bit and I want to talk about that too. But what was it about Fortaleza for you that, that is such a standout? It's got a great bottle, has a great agave sort of cork top and it looks fantastic. It looks has this great bottling and look. And it tastes right. great, but what is it specifically for you? I think to be completely honest, I think Fortaleza for me is both an incredible tequila, but it also has like an emotional value to it too, because it was the tequila that made me fall in love with tequila, you know? So I also was drinking Casamigos and I was drinking Patron and Don Julio uh, when I first started, you know, finding tequila. And those are gateway tequilas. And if a tequila like that is making more people get into tequila and then venturing out to good stuff. That's awesome, you know? Um, so when I first tried Fortaleza, I was like, wait, 
This, this is unlike anything I've ever had. You know, this is, this is what tequila is supposed to be like. And then I got to go to Jalisco and go to the distillery in the city of tequila. And I think that was a little switch for me. That was like, this is an art form, you know? And, and the amount of history, and I'm a big history and story guy. And to go there and see like, you know, we're talking about the Salsa family and how they're responsible for the domination of origin of tequila and how they're responsible for, you know, the fact that they can only use blue agave. That's the same family. So in the, uh, for, uh, Salsa sold the company and their grandson, his name is uh, Don Guillermo Erickson Salsa. He was kind of like, wait, I thought I was gonna make tequila my whole life and now they sold the brand, what am I gonna do? So he kind of like came to the US and he studied in San Diego. And then around the 2000s, he was like, I'm going to go back to the, you know, distillery in the farm where my grandparents left, that one distillery that was still in the family. And I'm going to make tequila like my grandparents did. And that's exactly what he did. He got the same recipe, the same tools, the same steam boiler, all that stuff that his grandparents did and started making this tequila. And I think Fortaleza is really responsible for like, this other boom of quality tequila because they invested on educating bartenders and educating people in the industry. And then that love and like really brand loyalty started translating into the guests. And then they started telling them and Fortaleza has this like cult following at this point. And I think that's what it is. I think it's an amazing tequila. It also like, I prefer the tequilas from the Valley and I like the minerality of it. Like almost like a briny, like a basil, uh, cucumber notes to it. I love that but also has the little like emotional value that it was a tequila that made me fall in love with this, with this industry. I'm, I'm a big fan of a good story and I love a history and a narrative about any kind of alcohol. Now it, that is one of the issues that I think that, you know, when you look at so many of the new tequilas that are coming out and, and in general with alcohol, you know, there isn't much of a story or there's a bullshit story, right? It's right. a sort of a, something that's made up and you see this with a lot of the celebrity um tequilas right and it's because there is no story they just wanted to get into tequila they saw it as a money-making opportunity stick your name on an alcohol how do we get into it or you know they like it but you know the, the story is random the story is about the bottle right. or the story is about their experience on how they found tequila it's not a story of like you're mentioning sort of years and history of grandparents making it the you know really changing the sort of like are there any in your opinion good celebrity tequilas you know, I got to say, for example, okay, so Código, right, which is backed by George Strait. That's an additive-free tequila. Uh, it comes from a pretty good distillery. It's a, it's not a bad tequila. What's it called? My, uh, Código or Código. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. I don't think George Strait owns it, but I know he has an investment in it, and he's like the spokesperson of it. Uh, but they just got, you know, added to the additive-free program. They, they, they are additive-free. Uh, and it's an okay tequila. Uh, you know, it's it's not bad. For me, it's just way too expensive. And I think for the price that they charge, I can get a lot better tequilas. But that's besides the point because if you like that tequila, it's fine, you know. So it's really it was really cool to see. And they got added to the to the additive free program not too long ago. So it was really cool to see that, you know. And there's other brands that have like a, a, a celebrity backing or some investment, like Casa Mexico, uh, which I've done some work with that are really good. You know, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> oh, no. to be honest, um, Michael you know, Jordan, again, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I know, right? And I, I hate to say anything negative about that, but that is a tequila that's known to have a lot of syrups, a lot of additives to it, you know? 
Um, and that's fine, you know, like for me, I know additives aren't going anywhere. I know it's part of any industry to have the big brands and the craft brands, that's fine. What I don't like is the lack of transparency. So there's a lot of brands that I know that don't hide the fact that they use additives. They say, yes, it sells. The American market is looking for things with additives. And, you know, I still love to make tequila, but I'm not going to hide the fact that I use additives. My problems with brands that are trying to ride that law that they don't have to disclose anything, and then they sell it as a really premium, you know, high quality, like pure tequila, when in reality, you know, it's not. And that it's the most like it's deceiving the customer, which I can't get behind. Let's talk Terramana. <laughs> talk the high end, but Terramana, you've gone on a rant before about Terramana. I've seen it, I've heard it. And you know, this, everyone, if you're not familiar, which you've got to be living under a rock if you're not familiar, it's <laughs> fun. Is uh, <laughs> the rocks tequila? And you know, so he's been spouting off about it, about how much he's been making, how many bottles he's been producing, six hundred thousand bottles or something crazy. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest success stories in the alcohol business ever. Um, no matter what alcohol you're in, by the way, yeah. for if, considering how how recently he started. What's your thoughts? Let's get into it. Yes. Uh, okay. So Terramana. Um, there's a few things that I that I have a problem with. Uh, so with every bottle of tequila, when you look at the bottle, there's going to be an NOM and then followed by a four-digit code. And that's essentially the tequila's address. You know, uh, it's going to tell you where the, what distillery makes that tequila. With Terramana, they have their own NOM right? It's kind of like a distillery inside a mega distillery. So the rock sells it as, yes, we went in and we like met with this family of a small distillery and I employ a bunch of people and, you know, we, we have our own distillery. The problem with the NOM uh, that's supposed to be keeping brands in check is there's also a loophole in that. It only tells you where the tequila is bottled. It doesn't tell you where the tequila is distilled, hmm. right? So the way for you to know if a, all the tequila that's coming out of that distillery is made there is by the size of their ovens. Basically, how much agave is coming in and how much tequila is coming out. What yield are you getting by agave plant? And I think it's really, really, really hard to believe that 600,000 cases, which is more than 3 million bottles, are coming out for one small distillery in Mexico. How? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. You know what I mean? And the fact that he, his tequila, the, his brand and his distillery sits in the same land and it's owned, half owned or partially owned by the same family who owns the big distillery, it's kind of like a red flag. Now, where is that tequila coming from, right? And all, my other thing is he sells it as a small batch tequila. You buy the bottle, it says right there in the middle of the bottle, small batch. What what tells you it is a small batch? Uh, where does it stop being a small batch? It's 600,000 cases. After a million, a million cases, right. small batch. You right. know, <laughs> exactly. And you have brands like Fortaleza, for example, which I've been in the distillery. They have two steam boil, uh, steamed uh, ovens, and they have one place to crush the agave, right? But they're working literally 24-6. They only close on Sundays, and they still can't keep up the demand. So you're, how big is the distillery that he's, you know, has that's being able to pump out over 3 million bottles in one year? 
Okay, so you don't like the you don't like the 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 lack of transparency behind Terramana. That's one thing, and I get it. Mm -hmm. it could be, you know, he's not he's producing more than he's saying potentially producing more, and not and he couldn't make it out of that one distillery. Right. But do you, what about the actual flavor? What about the taste of Terramana? It's it, it tastes artificial. You know, I don't believe that it's coming in all from steam boil, a uh, steam uh, uh, cooked ovens. Uh, I, I do think that there is a mixture there. Again, these are just my thoughts. I don't want to get in trouble with Terramana or anything like that. But, you know, you can still mix. You can make 49% uh, diffuser and blend it in with 51% uh, steamed cooked ovens and still call it like, a, you know, a, that it's cooked in steamed ovens uh, and brick ovens. And I feel like there is a little bit of more of like a transparency in that as well, because my taste buds, when I taste it, I get the additives, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a pure tequila. I love the fact that Lucas is actually sweating at the moment because he's slightly <laughs> terrified that the rock's going to come knocking on his door and, uh, he's going to be he's gonna enter some action movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's all going to be downhill, but you know, don't worry, you're not going to get the rough of, of the rock. He's even wiping the sweat away from his mustache. Right I know. <laughs> I made him sweat the poor guy's gone red. Look, I'm putting you on the spot, but we, that's what we're here to do is to ask the big questions. But I know that you do talk about this sort of stuff and people respect you for it. And again, like you said, you do it in an honest way. You're not being judgmental to pass what you taste. And then that's what it's about. It's about taste. And you're asking simple questions and they could be simple answers. You know, it is one of those things. How different is tequila as a business from other businesses in the alcohol business, in your opinion, as far as lack of transparency? I don't know. I think it's tough because there is like a governing body of tequila, right? The, the CRT that's supposed to be putting all these guidelines and and play and tequila. I think I, I feel like I'm not as well versed in other uh, in industries that I can kind of compare it. Um, I know that like with bourbon, you can't use additives. You know what I mean? And that's a that's a rule within bourbon. And with tequila, that changes a little bit. Um, there's also different things of like incentives of like making if you in Mexico itself, like if you water down your tequila to 35 percent, you get a huge tax break. So that it's, of course, helping the big brands who are doing that and making sure that the small brands in Mexico who are trying to sell traditional tequila at at least 40% are paying a way much higher taxes in those bottles, you know? So there's those lack of things and those loopholes that in tequila that it's a little, it's just tough um, to hear. And I don't know if there's other industries that are like that. I want to know, what is a, because I think people get confused. You go to a store and, you know, like you, you can sort of tell in certain other alcohols where the price points are, you know, what we, and partly because of the certain brand names that you're like, okay, I know that a McAllen's going to be a good whiskey. I, you know, I know that a Glenlivet or Glenfiddich, you know, and you sort of trust these big brand names. And then when you come to tequila, it's like a, I don't know, like a shit show almost. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. There's this sort of $300 bottle, a $500 bottle, then it's like a $25 bottle, you know, and the sort of the prices are crazy. The, the, the bottles are all kinds of things. And so you get confused as to what you could, what is a price point that you think people perhaps shouldn't really go over, you know, and, and, and what is a safe price point for like, you can get a good tequila at this dollar? It's a great question. And that's so true about tequila. Uh, you know, price does not tell you the quality at all. Uh, so I would say you can get an incredible Blanco tequila from $30 to $80. 
That's the gap, I think, in the Blanco. And even for an extra Anejo, I wouldn't pay more than $250. So that's the gap right there, right? Of course, aged tequilas are going to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, so for an extra Anejo, you're looking at something around $250. More than that, I, I haven't seen anything in the market that I'm like, oh, that tequila is $400, $300, and I really want to get it because of, you know, it's supposed to taste amazing or it's going to be worth it. The best extra anejos that I've had are around $250, you know, and I think the sweet spot there for Blancos in the lower uh, price range, 50 to 80, you're going to get an amazing product as, as long as you're going to, you know, follow these certain brands. Uh, anything more than that for a Blanco shouldn't be, yeah, just shouldn't charge that much. What do you think of uh, Casa Dragones? Um, <laughs> That is the brand that I probably like the least, if I have to be honest. Their lack of transparency and just honestly deceiving the customer, I think just drives me mad a little bit. Um, they make tequila with the diffusers that we talked about. They make tequila with the acids that we talked about and all those things that are not supposed to be in tequila, but they sell it as this like modern techniques of making great tequila but then they charge $200 for a bottle. You know, that tequila is literally made the same way as like El Jimador that's gonna cost you $15 for the bottle. It's the same thing, it's the same process. There's no reason that tequila should be that expensive. It's really honestly like a flex thing for you to say that you bought Casa Dragones um, and it's a marketing thing, brilliant marketing. I give them that, kind of like Clase Azul, brilliant marketing, but it's about the bottle and not about the juice. Casa Azul, and that's another one. That's one. Of, that's a favorite of mine. I've got to say, I enjoy yeah. <laughs> Casa Azul. I think I've got like, I don't know, ten bottles uh, yeah. uh, um, finished, which are now candlesticks in my main room because they make right. beautiful bottles. But are you telling me that I've been basically buying this because of the bottle and the bell? <laughs> and I hate to be that guy, you know, but be that guy, yeah. Lucas. Be that guy. <laughs> but unfortunately, yes, Casa Azul is you know ninety nine percent about the bottle. It's not about the juice inside. Uh, it actually comes from the same family as Terramana, same distillery. Um, you know, and it's, but then again, who am I to say not to support a brand who basically employs a whole small town in Mexico of like mostly women who are making these beautiful bottles, you know what I mean? And he's paying for like their school and their kids' school and transportation and but food and all well that. Well and good, Lucas, but I'm not talking about, but, I'm, I'm talking about the flavor. <laughs> I'm talking about, is it the, the real deal? I understand that there's, but by the way, there seems to be no shortage of people <laughs> employing people to make tequila, right? That's so, true, that's so, true. So whether you're gonna work here or work somewhere else, I get it. I, you're a sensitive man. You you're, you care about the people. I love it that you love the story. <laughs> and you hate it when people aren't transparent. But it, it, right. at the end of the day, people buy with their mouths, don't they? They If, if, you, if you drink something and it tastes delicious, but it is all of these things. It is a combination of presentation, it is a combination of flavor, it is marketing, it is all those things. And, you know, it, it, you can't deny it. it's in everything. It's in the fashion industry, it's in the car industry, it's in the movie industry. You know, how many great movies have been overlooked because they just didn't have necessarily the right marketing or, or good pictures to, to, to advertise the show, right? It gets Very lost and, and, you know, and never gets to make it in, out there. And same way with, with, with fashion labels and everything else. It's the world we live in. Um, but it's it's fascinating, I think, with with tequila because it has become a pop culture sort of drink. 
It is right. a drink of our times. And I don't think that there's been another drink that has really tried to, that has matched it. I mean, people are saying, oh, gin's having a resurgence and, you know, this is having nothing like tequila. People aren't, you know, no one's ordering a shot of gin or going out and trying you know, and, and going bonkers over gin and making it, uh, every celebrity trying to have their own gin. I mean, yeah, there's lots of gins out there, but right. they, they're very, very different and they can be. I mean, one can taste of juniper, the other one can taste of cucumber and, and they can have nothing to do. One can be of chamomile and it doesn't matter, right? It's sort of right. random, very, very random. Um, I'd like to know what is one, te- is there a tequila that we should just avoid? Um, okay, there's a couple. I'll start with the Cuervo Gold. Don't don't drink that. <laughs> but that's essentially not even really a tequila, right? Um, but I would avoid Casa Dragones. I would avoid uh, Clase Azul. Uh, yeah, those are the brands wow. that, and any of the Cristalinos. I would avoid any of the Cristalinos. Wow, wow. <laughs> Oh my God, I just, that's a revelation for me. You don't understand. I mean, I, I, mean, I literally have I've been drinking those tequilas for, for years I and mean, I drink a lot of other tequilas. And one of the tequilas I've been drinking recently, which I love, and I, and I feel bad for not f- fully knowing the name, but I'm hoping you can help me here because they have a very recognizable bottle. They have on the bottle, the number one, and then one, two, and a number three. So it's, I call them one, two, and three because I see because they have a big one, a big two, and a big three. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. So the number two, the reposado, I find it very delicious. Do you know much about them? Uh, so they come from actually uh, one of the a big distillery that makes great tequila. Uh, so it, the distillery is called Las Americas. They have some great tequilas coming out of that distillery. So yeah, one, two, three, they're good. Is that one safe with those that, did I get the name right? Is it one, two, three? What are they called? Pretty much, uh, un, dos, tres, yeah. <laughs> See, good marketing people. No, let's not make things complicated. Let's just I call know. it one, two, three. For us stupid Americans <laughs> and Brits, they can't pronounce all those fabulous tequila names. Just call it one, two, three. I have the number two, please. Um, no, that's just brilliant. Oh, I love it. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, so uh, let's get to a, a little bit about you. Right before we go on this, because I want to know what was your, what, what was your, when did you decide you wanted to get into the business of tequila and alcohol and bartending and just be, why, you know, where did the fascination come from? Uh, so I was a bartender in LA for 10 years and I worked at a bar that was more towards, you know, craft cocktails, craft whiskey. That was my first introduction to like craft spirits. And I really loved, again, the history and the stories and the people around it. It's not just a big machine making it. And I think, honestly, with just with the trend of things, and LA really like kind of dictates trends when it comes to those things, right? Especially drinks uh, nowadays. And so LA started making this shift from bourbon to agave spirits, uh, first tequila. And our bar did the same thing. And we, you know, they hired a executive chef. His name is Sean Yonks. And he was one of the most knowledgeable guys of agave, in agave spirits. He actually started, I think it was the first agave spirits uh, bar in, in the US, in Denver, called Mezcal. And I kind of just became this information sponge around him. You know, when people would come in to like taste him on things, he'll bring me in. And we would just always talk about agave spirits. He had a lot of friends in the industry. And I just kind of started getting more and more in love with that industry. Uh, and I think it helps, of course, that my wife's family is from Mexico. 
So we would go to Mexico quite a lot. And, you know, her dad, my father-in-law is always drinking tequila. That's his drink of choice. And he was probably drinking Patron and Don Julio. And I started drinking those things too. And I think together with work and this relationship that, you know, I, I grew up just falling in love with Mexico, you know, and my, my upbringing was something that, you know, my dad was always a part of like a nonprofit organization. So he was in one part of the world my whole life. And we had people from all cultures in our, in our house as well, uh, every weekend, pretty much. And I grew up with this, like, really like this thirst and like love for other cultures. And I think once I got really exposed to the Mexican culture, I really latched onto it and starting to see the stories and the history and the complexity of it, especially the fact that like the more I think I know about mezcal or agave spirits, the more I realize I don't know anything. Like they, you know, somebody tastes me on an agave that I never heard of, on a distilling technique that I never heard of. So that those, all those things combined is really like what made me fall in love with agave spirits. And I'm the kind of person that when I like something, I kind of get obsessed over it. And that's how agave spirits were for me. I just got a little obsessed with it and started like, you know, researching, of course, drinking and learning and talking to people and being able to visit the distilleries and the vinatas and the palenques where they make mezcal in Mexico. I think that's what really sparked that. And what's your family origin? Lucas Assis. Where, where does that come from? Uh, Brazil. Uh, so yeah, I'm born and raised in Brazil. Uh, the Assis comes from Italy. So I'm probably like three, four generations ago. Uh, they came from Italy. Uh, but yeah, born and raised in Brazil, both my mom and dad. And I came to the U.S. for the first time when I was about 11 years old. Uh, we spent a few, uh, yeah, like six months in Spokane, Washington. Uh, and that's where I learned English when I was like 11. Then we came to L.A. My dad basically came to study and then he stayed uh, for work. Me and my mom and my sister went back to Brazil uh, when I was about 13 years old. And then when I was like 16, 17, I was like, I think I want to go back to the U.S. So I came to live with my dad. Um, and I've been here ever since. So it's kind of been back and forth uh, from those two countries. Amazing, amazing, <laughs> crazy. You know, you've talked about how um, it's hard to get a good tequila in Mexico and that there's better tequilas in the US. Can you explain yourself on that one? <laughs> yeah, that was a hot topic on my TikTok. Uh, so there's a couple of things that happen in Mexico that like we talked about before, one of them is the tax break, right? So by law in the United States, for it to, considered to, for it to be considered a spirit, it needs to be at least 40% ABV. In Mexico, that goes down to 35%, which means that the big brands are, are watering down their tequila to 35% and selling that product in Mexico. So a lot of people, they go and they say that they buy tequila in Mexico and it tastes a lot smoother. And it's true because it has a lot more water to it. The ABV is a lot lower. 5% is a huge uh, number when it comes to alcohol by volume, right? And alcohol, again, is a huge part of tequila flavor. The complexity, the boldness, all of that is a huge part of tequila. It's not supposed to be smooth. Uh, and if a tequila brand is trying to sell it at 40% ABV in Mexico, which is, you know, the, the, the ABV that's more traditional, they have to pay 60% more taxes. So of course that comes from the big brands trying to sell more tequila, making sure that the small brands, you know, can't really thrive in Mexico, forcing them to export the, the tequila to the United States, who is the biggest buyer of tequila by far, right? Um, so those things are things that like really ensure uh, that the best tequila is moving out of Mexico, which in turn really has changed the perspective of what good tequila is 
in Mexico itself. So of course, if you're gonna go to the little towns where tequila is made, like the city of tequila or like Arandas in the highlands of Jalisco, those kinds of areas, of course, people are gonna know good tequila because they're next to the distillery. They can literally go to the distillery and buy it there. But outside of those areas, people are drinking bad tequila and thinking that they're good because the marketing giants, like for example, Diageo, who owns Don Julio, is telling people that this is what good tequila is. And they've changed the perspective of mo most Mexico thinks is good tequila, which is kind of heartbreaking because that's, the, you know, they're the ones that's supposed to be drinking the best tequila. And I say that, but there is a great movement starting, especially in Guadalajara, which is now like an hour away from, from tequila, that's really, getting back to showing people what good tequila is. So there's a few bars, there's a few restaurants that are only carrying traditional brands and really showcasing. Guadalajara is like a sort of industrial city in, in Mexico, right? It's like a, it's a bit like a work hub. It's almost like a Detroit type of Chicago. It's the Chicago right. of, of Mexico, whereas Mexico City is like New York and right. uh, it's, to give people an explanation of what Guadalajara is like. But um, yeah. no, that's fascinating, my God. Yeah, wow. so that that that's the reason why, and hopefully, I think with this new trend and things that are happening in Mexico, it would change the perspective a little bit of what good tequila is, you know. So yeah, it was no disrespect when I said that the U.S. gets better tequila. It was just like a you know, it's true, and I trying to explain why and what we need to do to make sure that that doesn't. So, so basically, Mexicans are coming to the U.S. to have a, go on a tequila tour. Honestly, I I know a lot of people that come from Mexico and they they come to the U.S. and they're like, right, I need to bring some tequilas to bring back. You know what I mean? There you go. That, wow, people, that's <laughs> crazy. And I'm planning a I'm planning a trip to Mexico um, in April myself, and nice. uh, I might have to bring my tequila with me by the sounds of things. <laughs> Interesting. Wow, fascinating. Look, before we let you go, we have one last part of the show called Last Orders, where we get to know you a little bit better, a little bit of fun. Um, here we go. If you could drink any cocktail from any movie or television show with a character from that show, what and who would it be? Uh, I think, you know, it's a cocktail that I don't like. <laughs> it's ingredients that I don't like, but I would love to have a white Russian with the dude <laughs> from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> wow. Just because you like him, right? Just because you like that guy. He made that drink famous. No one even he liked it. Right, exactly. <laughs> the most disgusting. What is that? Vodka and, and espresso, or some like Kahlua and cream. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's the dude, you know, and the dude abides. It would be awesome to to drink uh, uh, one of those with him. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Who who would play you in the movie of your life? I mean, actually, looking at you, I can think of a few different actors. I can imagine. Oh, really? I'd like to hear what you think. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, as a Brazilian, I think I would love to say Wagner Moda. Uh, he's the one that did Pablo uh, on Narcos, and he's like the biggest star in Brazil, really. So um, I would love for him to do that. I love him. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you stay true to your own, you know, your origin, your story. You're very consistent in the kind of person you are, Lucas. I like that. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, fantasy dinner party. You can have three guests, dead or alive, and I can't be one of them. <laughs> um, I would say Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I think he, yeah, he was just such a huge influence on me. Um, and I also, people forget, I think, how much of an influence he did in Mezcal. His Oaxaca episode, when he goes with Delma Gay with Ron Cooper and tries out single village Mezcal, I think is one of the things that propelled the, the popularity of Mezcal. Uh, 
so yeah, Anthony Bourdain, that would just, I would love him. Um, going back to Brazil, I think Lula, he is the, uh, uh, um, he was president of Brazil for two terms, hopefully the next president of Brazil. And I don't want to get political here, but I think he just got, he just did so many important things for social injustice in Brazil and Latin America that I think it'd be fascinating to have a conversation with him. Um, and I think the third person would be David Chang. Um, and there's like a chef kind of uh, theme, but I love David Chang. I love how opinionated he is, which I think is one of the things that I uh, am as well. And I love the rants he goes in and how passionate he is about the industry. And I'll love to have conversation with those three. Yeah, I don't say this very often, but I would like to get invited to this dinner party after all. That's <laughs> fascinating. Um, Go-to drinking song. Uh, Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton. Okay. <laughs> Boom. That's Love my it. drinking song. <laughs> Final question. Shaken or stirred? Uh, I'm a stirred kind of guy. And you've been yeah. stirring it up. I see you. Stirring <laughs> it up on TikTok, stirring it up on Instagram. The Lucas Assis on both TikTok and Instagram. Follow him. You're, you've got an opinion, but it's worth it. And I love it. And I, you know, that's what it's all about. Find your tequila, everybody out there. Check it out. Check us out on the Shaken and Stirred show on both YouTube and Instagram. It's been a pleasure. I'm now going to basically go and throw half my tequila bar away. And uh, <laughs> we're heading to the store. You're going to have to DM me with what to get. That's what all I can say. I'll send you a list for sure. <laughs> Thank you so Please much for having me. <laughs> all the best, my friend. Cheers. 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 Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. This podcast was produced and edited by Embassy Row.